Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today, I sit down with eight-time Olympic medalist Susie O'Neill. Susie O'Neill can do it. Point nine eight in front of world time. There's the line again. It's wearing her down. Hang on, Susie. Five to go. You're going to do it, are you? Susie, yes, yes. Her dream has been realised. Run into a few teachers since I finished school. Yeah, I would just say that I slept through school. I did. Were you the same? I yeah. just slept through all my classes. I feel like I was just a zombie. I was a zombie. I found I could make up. You could just get a tutor and do like the whole term, like in a couple of weekends. Did you do that? <laughs> no, <laughs> I did not. But that probably speaks to how I performed at school. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, funny, Susie. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I can't even begin to explain how nervous I have been to interview you. It's really? um, yeah, yeah. Just because, well, I mean, you're an icon, right? You're a lot younger than me, weren't you? Are you 10 years younger, at least? Yes. So okay. I was 85, you're... 73. 73. Okay, 12 years. Yeah. So you're kind of the next generation. I was, I was completely done by so the time you started. my very first memory of you... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was I mean, obviously I watched um, all the Olympics. 96 was probably the first one that I really properly remember, which was very successful for you, winning the 200 metres butterfly. But my first proper, like, meeting you memory (laughs) was at the Queensland State Titles and it was in the lead up to 2000. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) God, I hope I was nice. (laughs) Don't you always get worried when yes. people start to have these conversations? I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh shit, what is she going to say? What was I like that day? So <laughs> it was the, the final of the 100 Butterfly, I think, I made that year. And uh, you have standing like two people behind you. And I remembered distinctly you saying the word shit. Did I? <laughs> I just said it then before. What? In what context? I can't remember the context. But I remember going... Oh my God, Susie O'Neill just swore because I was such a like prissy little girl. Oh God. I was like such a good. You would have been so young. I was fifteen. Okay, um, which is fine. <laughs> I'm not doing this to shame you, um, but it was like I was like, oh wow, Susie, like yeah, she just swore. That's intense, man. <laughs> oh God, she's like this normal human who swears. Oh God. Um, and Crazy. and then going to watch you, you know, do the two hundred meters butterfly world record at Olympic trial. Were you there? Were you yeah. competing? I wasn't competing, but I was watching. You know, this epic world record that had stood for for so many years that everybody, everyone around Australia knew you were working towards, mm. and to see you smash it and then your iconic dance mm. afterwards, <laughs> it was just. Magic. Like, what did it feel like in that moment to have done something that you had been working towards for for so many years? Yeah, wow. That was definitely that was definitely my favourite race ever. I think because, mm. as you said, I just felt so much support from the whole country. And the Olympic trials were obviously in Australia. It was down in Sydney three months before the Sydney Olympics, and I really just remember thinking. This is the last chance I've got to break this. I knew I was going to retire after Sydney mm. and I knew that probably at the Olympics it's difficult to do a really, really, really good time generally. Yes. It's with everything else going on. Yes. It's like this is the last chance I've got. And I just remember being in the warm-up area just in the massage, you know, where the massage tables are all set up. Um, in the There's a warm-up pool, a separate pool that we warm up in and just chatting to um, actually an Australian team, Masua, called Joe. 
This is my last chance. But um, so you were conscious of that before you raced. Yeah. Like you were very cognizant of the fact that this was like pretty much your last shot at breaking this world record. Pretty much, yeah. And remember I took – well, you probably don't remember, but I took up 200 butterflies pretty late. I was yeah. 18 when I did my first 200 butterfly. That was to try and make the 92 Olympic team. Mm. Um, my coach, Mr. Wayfield, said to me, you've got a really good chance. Um, there's not many people in the 200 butterfly nationally and internationally. And I was a sprinter then. Like everyone wants to be a sprinter in swimming. Yes, if you, if you, it's true. No one chooses <laughs> to be a distance swimmer and no one chooses 200 butterfly. No. The only reason I did it is I had a good chance. So I did my first one at 18. Wow. Made um, – 92 Olympics and got a bronze medal. Never in my wildest dreams thought I would get close to that world record because, you know, Mary T. Ma, the original uh, Madam Butterfly, that was her nickname, had held that record for 19 years by the time it was 2000. So the longest standing world record. And gradually I just inched and inched closer and closer to it. I met her actually a couple of years before I broke it and she was such a normal person. It was the same yeah. sort of thing. I'd held her into such in such high reg- yes. regard that I thought, I, and that I thought I would never be able to do what she. Yes, it's unattainable. Yeah, because she's obviously some sort of crazy lady or super freak. special. Yep. But then when I met her, same sort of thing. She was pretty normal. Um, so I just sort of gradually, really, really, really wanted to break it before I finished swimming, and so. That day, yeah, everything worked out. And when I actually did it and turned around and heard the crowd mm. cheer and I broke it, I was – I remember – it's like a drug, isn't it? I mean, that's the one thing that I really, really miss from sport is that drug-like feeling you get when you achieve something that you've really aimed towards. Yes. And then I hopped out of the pool and did that, that funny dance. Yes. <laughs> I love the, that so much. It's, like, iconic. Like, it's, it's the, etched into my memory. The year before in 99 at the – must have been some sort of trials for whatever, Pampac trials probably – um, I was in Brisbane and, I, and I'd missed the record and I remember I was out at the end of the Nationals at a um, nightclub and I said, if I ever break the world record, this is the dance that I'm going to do. And I remember doing it in the nightclub. I was at the valley somewhere. <laughs> and so when I touched the wall and broke the world record, I thought, oh, I've got to do this dance now. It'd be Amazing. really, um, it'd be really bad karma if I didn't do this. Yeah, well, down. exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was definitely an amazing feeling just to achieve everything that you know, that's probably the last thing I really wanted to tick off in my swimming career. I'd won mm. a gold medal at, at every major competition and then I just really wanted the world record. So, mm. yeah, great feeling. So leading into Sydney then, because, I mean, that is still such an iconic Olympic Games for Australians, being mm. in Sydney. We had such incredible success as the Australian swimming team itself. What were your expectations going in into Sydney and how did you manage your – nerves <laughs> I, I, I can't even fathom what it would feel like to swim in front of a home country at an mm. Olympic Games yeah it was really weird it was really intense uh looking back at it I mean it was so long ago now wasn't it 22 years but if I take myself back to that that period in time I was quite famous then um yeah. without sounding really up myself <laughs> I was very well known <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was kind of what, it was kind of when I walked outside. You were people, a golden girl. Well, like you were the iconic golden well, girl of that time. The point was, the, the story is that I was re- recognisable and I'm quite an um, introverted, shy person. Mm. So it was, it was quite tiring to go out. Not that I didn't like it. You know, secretly everyone of loves course. to be a bit famous. But it was weird leading up to the Olympics because everyone would talk to you about the Olympics. Like, mm. like you know, you'd be um, at the shopping centre buying some washing powder and people would come past and go, I can't wait to see you swim at the Olympics. I can't wait to see you win the gold medal. All they'd say to you, I've bought tickets to your gold medal night. Yeah, cool. Um, so, I mean, everyone was unbelievable. And it was a really good time for sport because everyone really – it seems like back then everyone, the public really liked sports people mm. mostly. I feel like it's not quite as 
Yeah, look, we've gone down a spiral. (laughs) It doesn't seem like sports people are held in high regard as they were kind of back then. So everyone was so supportive and um but as it etched closer and closer I was getting um I was getting pretty nervous Cliff and I were living separately at the time actually because he'd got a job in Sydney he um was a doctor and he was trying to get on the eye training program which interestingly both our dads are eye doctors as well crazy crazy but um so it's really difficult to get the position he was looking for so he had to take it in Sydney so he lived in Sydney for the year 2000 and I lived wow up here in Brisbane. Oh, God, that's awful. So I think that wasn't great as well. I was spending a lot of time by myself. Mm. Um, in your own head. That's fine for an athlete to just yeah. be in their own head yeah. and all you the time. And you kind of think, I'll quit everything so I can really concentrate on my yeah. swimming. Let's like just do gonna focus, nothing. Yeah, do nothing <laughs> else at all. Just focus on the training yeah. to get this gold medal. <laughs> and then just go home by myself and try not to think about it. So it was no, no ruminating was happening at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty, it was pretty nerve-wracking, to be honest. When I arrived in... At the Sydney Olympics. My God, I remember – because when I was little, I used to stop in my swimming races, so I used to get really nervous. Um, I've always been a nervous competitor, but when I was really young, if I did a freestyle event, I wasn't even doing butterfly at this stage, like when I was 10 or 11, I would dive in and do about two strokes and stop. Wow. So I'd basically, looking back, have a panic attack. I'd forget to breathe. Wow. So I was a backstroker when I was younger because so my head could be out of the water. So I finally got over that. Mr Wakefield, um, my coach at the time – got me to switch off my brain before I walked behind the, the blocks. And I'd really concentrate on blowing out in the underwater yeah. in my first couple of strokes. Yep. But I remember um, going to the Sydney Olympics, going to, you know, my first couple of training sessions in the Olympic pool, you know, with everyone there and the Olympics mm-hmm. and the hype and starting to get that feeling of a that panic attack, wow. basically like it's really claustrophobic. Um, so that was pretty hard. And then I had so much trouble sleeping, so much trouble mm-hmm. sleeping. So the, the tuna butterfly was on – Day six, I think I had the tuna free on day five. So, and I had wow, it was that close together. Yeah, I'd had the um, so I think my program was like 100 free, I can't remember some relays, 100 fly, blah blah blah. We had just brought in semi finals then, so I had my 200 fly final and then the presentation, and then straight after that, the 200 fly semi. Wow, and then the next day, I had the 200 fly final. Wow. So you had the 200 free final and then the 200 fly semi. Yes. (sighs) On that night. And 200 free was an event that I ended up winning, but I wasn't really training for, to be honest, before this point. The reason I really started focusing on the 200 free is because we started to have a good chance in the 4x200 freestyle relay. Yeah, right. We had a couple of really good swimmers in that. We had Patria Thomas, Gian Rooney, Kirsten Thompson. Yep. Um, Elka? Elka Graham. Yep. So we started really focusing towards that. That's the only reason I really started training for the turn of free. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But the point was, it was it was pretty nerve wracking. Yeah, Sydney that's Olympics. a stacked program. Yeah, I liked being busy. Mm. I liked being. I liked doing a lot of events. Yeah. Because um, yeah, because you can kind of you got a routine, haven't you? you? Go to the pool, you do your warm up, you get changed, do your race, do your swim down. Yeah, it's very routine. It's quite comforting to be yeah. able to just keep going through the motions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> you're like, you know what I'm going to ask you? Because yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by your experience because I feel like in, in some ways, in a lot of ways, it kind of is comparable to my experience in 2008. But mm. from your perspective, you had taken up the 200 freestyle because there were other girls who were, you know, kind of coming through. So did you – think about winning the 200 freestyle or was that kind of just a stepping stone towards the 200 butterfly for you? 
Uh, yeah, in the training and everything leading up, obviously 200 fly was always my main thing. I'd just broken the world record yeah. uh, three months before. 200 free was kind of, yeah, I was just doing it. And then I found myself, I qualified fastest for the final. So I distinctly remember that day because I was um, qualified fastest. It was lunchtime that day. I was heading out to the final that night. I remember I rang Cliff. Um, mm. He was living in Sydney then and he was down there with a group of friends and um, – I mean, they're having a great time. They'd go out every night. They'd sleep in. Like, uh, that's great, babe. I'm yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> they'd wake up. I'm just living my best life in the Sydney Olympic Village, yeah. just stressing out of my head. But that's cool. You go have fun. Yeah. And then they'd wake up just in time to watch the heats. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd kind of sit around and then they'd get dressed and catch the train out to Homebush to watch, watch the finals. Mm. I must have had a heat of the 200 f- fly that, that morning, the day of the 200 free final. Mm. It's making sense? Yeah. So lunchtime that day, I qualified fastest. I'm thinking, shit. I looked at the who was in the final and the times everyone done. I'm like, I've got a really good chance of winning this. And so I totally freaked out. Wow. I was like, far out. I should really win this. There was not really anyone had gone super fast and no mm. one was looking great. So I re- remember I was in a um, real state. I rang Cliff. I was crying. I was like, I do not want to go out to the pool tonight. Wow. You know, have you ever been like that? Oh, oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you have not. Like, <laughs> so many times. Like, so <laughs> nervous. I would prefer, honestly, have to do anything Anything. Else. Yep. Anything. And I spoke to um, Cliff and he's like, get over it. You know, you're not curing cancer. Go out to the pool. Like, that's hurtful. Yeah. But also true. <laughs> yeah, true. I think just putting it in perspective, go yes. out to the pool, put on your togs and just swim as fast as you can. He hates that story mm. um, because he goes, I did not say that. I was not that mean to you. And he wouldn't have. He's a lot softer than. You're like, in my head though, that's exactly what you said. <laughs> that's what I heard. I heard, get over yourself. You know, you're, you're in a swimming race. Mm. So I went out there and. Um, and dived in and, w- and won the race, which um, blew my mind. I mean, I, yeah, a couple of regrets. A, that I didn't really enjoy it. But, you know, when you've got a really big program, I had the I had that. And I was like, oh, I've got to quickly do the presentation. I've got to try and get a swim down. We do about 1,500 metres swim down mm. after our race before the next event. So for me, it was more just in um, job mode, you know what I mean? Race process mode. Yeah. Got to get to swim down. And then presentation, not really enjoying it, just really thinking about the 200 fly semi-final mm. and then do the 200 fly Semi-final. I got a good night's sleep that night. Actually, I felt great the next day. I didn't, that's the first morning I didn't swim, I think, the next morning. So I felt pretty good. And, and I felt good. I felt less nervous that day than I had the whole entire week, Wow. to be honest, the day I turned to fly. Yeah. I felt pretty good. Yeah. Because in your mind, the eventual winner, spoiler alert, Susie <laughs> didn't win, unfortunately, <laughs> the 200 <laughs> blood fly, for those alert. who don't know. <laughs> But for those um, <laughs> playing along at home, for those playing along at home, she didn't win. It was a spoiler. Sorry, but Misty Hyman, who was the eventual mm. winner of the two hundred butterfly, she wasn't really on your radar at that stage, was she? Not really, I raced her a lot over the years. I remember actually seeing her. In the, I remember seeing her at the Sydney Olympics Village at breakfast, eating six boiled eggs. That's what I really, that's my memory of her. And me thinking, oh, well, that's going to be a stinky fart. And me thinking, what's she doing eating six boiled eggs for breakfast? What a weirdo. Just I distinctly remember thinking that. Loading. But um, I don't, she'd always been there around the sort of around the space. Mm. But um, she ended up doing an amazing race. I think she improved her time three and a half seconds. Yeah, wow. So, like just had one of those crazy, you know, swam out of her tree. Mm. Um, and beat me. Yeah. Yeah. Like that must have been an incredibly difficult moment for you because you were the world record holder. All of Australia was kind of expecting this to be like a 
signed, sealed, delivered, done deal. <laughs> you and Patria were supposed to go one, two. Mm. Misty was not supposed to be anywhere in that mix. How did that feel when you turned around and saw number two next to your name when you were expecting that number one? Yeah, it was weird. I really remember it because I remember thinking – because the, cra- the, the crowd was cheering really loud. Mm. I remember thinking, why are they cheering? <laughs> I didn't win. Shut I, up, everybody. <laughs> I distinctly remember thinking that. And then my next thought was – Oh, you got to smile because otherwise you're going to be a bad loser. Yes, like, I really remember thinking that, and um, going over and I think I saw her on the um, in the pool, congratulated her, mm. and then I remember I had the four by two hundred freestyle relay after that, so I remember just not. Uh, you know what? I didn't process it mm. for another twenty years. Yeah, nineteen years. Nineteen actually. years. Yeah. Um. So I just like, oh, okay. Well, I got second. I got the four by two. I cried once, I remember that night, just when I saw Cliff. And then that was it, to be honest, because I knew that it was only a swimming race. In my head, I'm like, it's only a swimming race. Mm. It's not a big deal. You came second. Mm. But obviously, obviously, I didn't feel much, to be honest, Mm. because I'd never processed it, Mm. as you saw then later. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) because that was something that was really striking to me. Was it, it must have been 2019 where you watched your final of the 200 Butterfly for the very first time mm. and you had the most beautiful emotional response and I remember texting you and just going thank you for sharing that because it was something that was so like I felt with my whole heart because <laughs> I had the, the same experience in the 100 Freestyle in 2008. I was a world record holder, expected to win, mm. completely fucked up my race essentially <laughs> and and lost and it was like I felt like a failure and you talked about you talked so beautifully about like I I know I didn't fail but I felt like a failure mm. it was hard I think one of the reasons I didn't process it process it is I realized honestly I realized that so many other bad things happen to people and mm. worse things have happened in my life too yeah it's kind of a guilt about being upset about a swimming race, don't yeah. you think? How it you've seems been, so stupid. It seems so trivial. And how you've been brought up. It's like be a good sport and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I remember when that came up, the idea of doing that, watching it at, mm. with the radio show. They're like, oh, have you ever seen your turn of fly? I'm like, no, nah, I've never watched it. Mm. don't really want to. And they go, why don't we just watch it and see what happens? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm sure nothing will happen. Cool. Yeah, I'll watch <laughs> Sounds it. Sounds fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I remember, as soon as, and I remember as soon as they put up me in the marching area, I just lost it. Wow. And um, – Clearly had not processed it. I mean, I don't know whether I should have made it so public, to be honest. I don't know. I got some really good feedback. I got some terrible feedback. Like really? I understand I understand that people – I mean, and I totally understand that. I was brought up in a family like that, you know, mm. that there's a lot – people worse off than you. Mm. I can't re- reiterate that enough. Like I know it's just a swimming race, but I couldn't help what mm. – I actually could not help my emotions that day. And, um, I mean, I felt great after it. I felt like I had a, a – I felt like I'd cleansed myself. Mm. Like I've got, oh, I'm really, really happy that I went went through it. I'm not sure if I wanted, if I should have done it so publicly, mm. retrospectively. Well, can I yeah. say I'm grateful you did because it it helped me process my emotions around okay. my shit. <laughs> 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 but but I think that's. Uh, I think when we share our experiences, even if they might be trivial, mm. in other people's eyes when we're sharing those stories, it can actually help other people in different ways because, mm. sure, maybe someone else hasn't been to the Olympics or not, not quite gotten what they wanted to achieve in terms of a gold medal, but 
people experience disappointment all the time. People work towards things every single day and may not be successful in gaining a promotion or a research grant or, you know, mm. things that they've been working towards. You know, maybe they're working towards being a psychologist and they don't get accepted into the honours. Is that um, you? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very close to home now. <laughs> I'm doing counselling, thank goodness. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's too scary for me. It's too much pressure. <laughs> but, you know, I think you helped so many people and it's so for me it was beautiful to see someone who was clearly so passionate about what they were doing and desired something and didn't quite make it Mm. and that's okay like it's okay like you have gone on to be successful at other things yeah I think it's good as well to process your emotions I think that's what I learned out of that yeah I mean definitely how I was brought up was to not feel things you know you know if if I'm feeling happy like it'd be like oh well something bad's around the corner yeah or if um you're feeling sad. It's like the anticipation yeah. of like <laughs> something bad. Something bad. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're feeling um bad, it's like, well, you know, it's not. That's not that bad. You know, don't cry. Put on a, a so straight face. Don't you, don't you think? Yeah. So um, it was weird, kind of processing it. I felt so much relief. I honestly walk, was walking around. I reckon thinking I was a failure with a lot of things just because of that one sort of moment moment in time. So yeah. So you didn't. You don't feel like you processed it at all. During did, did when you won the two hundred freestyle, did you assume that you were just going to go on and then win the two hundred butterfly? Is that really bad if I say yes? Absolutely not, because that's how I, I'm. I'm like justify my feelings. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I remember thinking like, oh well, um, I won't really enjoy this presentation, but don't worry, I'll be back here. Tomorrow. Don't worry, I'll be back <laughs> here tomorrow to yeah. enjoy it more. I'll enjoy it when I win the two hundred fly tomorrow night. Because that's how I felt I, when I won the hundred butterfly. I'm like awesome. Did cool. you? So it was the same. Did you win the hundred? I won the hundred fly. Yeah. And then um, a few days later, I got silver in the hunter freestyle. Yeah. And I was just like, well, that's cool. Like, great. I, I'm, oh, I didn't realise it was virtually similar. I'm stoked, obviously. But the hunter freestyle is what I'm working towards. That's been yeah, the that's goal. The, yeah. And then, yeah, got silver. <laughs> you know what's weird, though? You know, no one even remembers. Like, oh, I no can't remember that about you. When I brought up about the tuna fly, no one had even knew that I came second. Yeah, they just assumed that like, you won. I was like, damn it. Everyone's thought I've won the whole time. <laughs> I've reminded them I've that I came told, second. And I'm telling myself I'm a loser because of it. You know, I'm yes. like, shh, don't tell anyone. No one knows. They can just assume that I did. And same thing about you. Isn't it funny? Mm, but absolutely. in your head, it's like such a big Which is why we need such to process those emotions, right? Yeah. Because it, it becomes, mm. it kind of guides a lot of how we think about ourselves yeah. and then, you know, how we put ourselves forward for different opportunities. So you you knew that you were going to retire after 2000. Yeah, what what made that sure? I was you? really over it. Mm. I was really over training. I wasn't enjoying the 200 fly. It was not enjoyable. Even now, after it, I haven't had one for a while though. I used to have nightmares about the 200 fly quite often. Like I'd be lining up for the 200 <laughs> fly, my block, I'd go take your mark and my block would fall over. Oh my God. Or <laughs> just weird things about that, that race. Like it was not fun anymore. It was like a relief, you know, because mm. I hadn't been beaten in six years. So it was kind of just a relief every time that I, I won. It wasn't really fun anymore. Mm. I was sick of training. I was married at that stage. I was really keen to – I mean, I was so young. I mean, everyone's mm. talking about Ash Barty retiring at 25. Yeah. I was I retired at 27. No, so we, another big moment in yeah. my brain about you was I was 15 again and you were 27 at the 2000 Olympics and I remember thinking, oh, man, Susie is so old. <laughs> 
And the funniest thing was, is I was 27 when I retired. As well, which is pretty young these days because the Campbell sisters are, are they 30s? 30, yeah. And even Emma McKinn must be 30. Uh, I think she just turned 30, which is terrifying to think. Like that's. She seems about 10. I mean, in a good way. No, I think of her as, yeah, 12. Yeah, (laughs) really, really young. So. But. Like, I just remembered thinking, oh, God, like, because you, um, I'm pretty sure Kieran was also 27. I think Sam Riley was 27 that year as well. Yeah. I'm just going, oh, God, they just need to move on with their life. <laughs> like, just. <sighs> and I was really keen to move on. I was really keen to have a, I was married. I'd been married for a couple of years. I was keen mm. to have a family, um, like, straight away. Thankfully, Cliff talked me out of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just wanted to, and everyone was doing. You wanted to do the next thing. Yeah. Yes. I thought I had any clue what the next thing was. Well, that brings me very nicely to my next question. What was the next thing for you? What did you kind Jeez. of do after? I just did loads of endorsements for a while, endorsement yep. sort of things. Like I remember the year after I finished, 2001, I've got, my, I've got all my diaries from then. I travelled interstate, I reckon, or on a plane every week wow. for a whole year. So um, it was a really good time to be an athlete with endorsements and, yeah. and sponsorships and different things like that. So I was with all these different companies um, and so kind of repaying them. I, my deals all went over at least one year or two years plus over the uh, when I retired. So I was about going to different events and different mm. things. I soon found out I didn't enjoy a lot of that stuff, yeah. to be honest. I found it very, very difficult. Well, being an introvert, yeah. as you are, like and, and, it's yeah. hard stuff to be able to talk to people. It's and, so tiring and yeah. I was very shy. I still am shy. Like I find it, I love meeting people, but I, I find it very, very tiring. Mm. But, you know, learning a lot of skills, doing um, – yeah, doing, doing a lot of speeches, which I was so bad at. I yes. remember just getting this feedback. Oh, I mean, I do talks for Westpac and they go, you know, r- really bad. Oh, no. Um, needs oh, to that's work. terrible. Oh. But, oh, no. you know, like, can you imagine me giving a motivational speech? I'm like, at 27. I mean, it's ridiculous. What do I know about motivating people? I haven't even lived. I was very one. When you finish your, your sporting career, you're pretty one-dimensional, don't you reckon? You've got no... I mean, you've got skills, but really, 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 really specific skills, yeah. I reckon. And I couldn't see how you could – you know, I did that for a few years. I remember two years – I remember I loved my retirement for two years. Loved it. Mm. Thought it was amazing. And then after two years, I'm like, okay, what's I'm next? Done. And then I'm like, I was trying to think, what can I do? Mm. What can I do? And I was trying to think, how can I transfer these skills? And everyone would say, oh, you got – you know, you must have learned so much from your swimming. And I'm like, but that's exactly yeah. right. Like people assume, and, and rightly so, we, we do learn a lot from our swimming. But yeah. when you said that when you retire from sport that you're one-dimensional, I, I just, oh, I felt that so deeply because it's it's so unbelievably true. <laughs> like I, yeah. I remember getting approached when I first retired from swimming to write a book and I'm just like, I can't in good <laughs> conscience write a book right now because mm. – it would just be about sport. Like I did one of those. Yeah, oh God, I'm sorry. No, but you've no. got to make hay while the sun shines oh, yeah. as well, but right? But you're right. You don't know anything. Like you don't know actually know anything and you kind mm. of – you like – Do, it, looking back now, I can see all the things that I learnt. Correct. I reckon. It's – you're mm. joining the dots now because you yeah. have the passage of time. You have that perspective. You're able to articulate what – it was that made you good then mm. and how you can then go and apply it subsequently yeah. into life after sport. But when you're just green and like brand new to the world, yeah. it's almost impossible. And I remember I'm like, okay, swimming's done. I don't want to be a swimmer anymore. I hated it when people said 
you know, that I was a swimmer mm. and I had a real cleansing thing. I threw out heaps of my stuff. You've probably heard me say this before. Tore up all my Commonwealth Games records. I remember doing that wow. specifically, chucking them in the bin. What was that about? Just that's done. Right. I remember that's done. Okay, next thing, even though I had no clue what the next thing was. That's amazing. Gave away all my trophies. Yep. Um, my mum took them back. My mum took my names off all the trophies and took them back to my primary school to see if I could give them out, give them out again. Oh, that's really cute. Yeah. Um, I thought I, I, I've kept a lot of my um, medals and stuff, but got rid of all my state medals and, and mm. a lot of that sort of stuff. But yeah, I remember just really, okay, not a swimmer anymore, and then move forward. But that must be hard so because you will kind of forever be known as Susie O'Neill, the swimmer. I don't mind it now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, now I like it. But I, at that time. Yeah, at that specific time, I really, really remember thinking, no, I'm not, mm. you know, just really wanted to. But you had nothing to kind of replace that label with. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think what I did. I can't even remember back then. Oh, I had babies. Oh, yeah, that was clever. Yeah. <laughs> That'll make Easy. you feel good about yourself. That'll, yeah. That'll make you feel That's really great for your self-esteem. Great for your self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. So what was well, what was motherhood like for you um, going into that kind yeah, of – Yeah, so 2004. I feel like I always blame Cliff for my problems. But, I mean, that was – he also then had a job in um, – Melbourne, mm. that he was in his final year of his eye training program. So we moved to Melbourne. I was still travelling a bit for different companies. You were with the IOC for a little while? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I did the IOC thing mm. for a bit, International Olympic Committee. Just, kind of just a meeting. little. <laughs> Doing <laughs> the meetings and dabbled. stuff. Dabbled. <laughs> but I remember in Melbourne, fell pregnant, had a baby and just being really – I would do things differently again, mm. just being really isolated. Cliff was working a lot. I was living in a, a, a unit – the baby had no idea. Trying to be perfect, mm. you know that mentality. I feel Ooh, like I've yeah. really um, deeply. <laughs> I feel like I've really got rid of that. Most I had to really untrain myself to. That sounds really wanky, doesn't it? To not be perfect. Um, no, but, but with, it's so true. Swimming, it was all about you know down to the hundredth of a second. Well, you're we're yeah. control freaks. Yeah, like at the end of the day, and we you, had to be control freaks. And how good was that that you could measure so nice. it? So nice, and you could measure it. You knew exactly how you were going, and you were the only one at. You depended on yes. yourself. Wasn't up to anybody else. Yeah, so you didn't have to like wait for somebody else to do something. You were in control. You were yeah. working towards this one thing. Everybody else was working towards this one thing with you. Yes, you had all that support crew. Remember yep. all those people helping you? Yep. And then if you, generally if you trained hard enough, you got you got there mo- mostly, mm. um, you know, to a certain level. So then, yeah, real life was weird, wasn't it, with um, nothing to judge how you were going, then having a baby – yeah, I found it really difficult having babies. Yeah. Um, having Alex being in Melbourne and, wow, oh, my God, I would do things so differently. I mean, <laughs> just recently, because Alex is 18 now, my daughter, and, you know, she brought up how, you know, she's obviously read some stuff about me saying um, about how hard it was being a mother and she brought up, you know, was it kind of – I just got the feeling that she felt it was her and I'm like, no, 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 it's not you. Mm. It, was, it was definitely me at the time. I remember going to a GP actually and she told me that I'd had – postnatal depression mm. I was like no I don't and so I changed GPs <laughs> you're wrong <laughs> and then the next GP I went to I remember this is after my second child after mm. Bill the next one she he's like yeah you've got postnatal depression wow so it kind of really worked on it then I had a really good yeah he was really good and and helped me get me back but yeah that was tough they're tough they're my toughest years of my life having babies right I lost about 10 kilos I remember I was down to like low 50 kilos wow um, I'm 60 now um, and just going mad. What was it about that period of time that you found so difficult? 
um, not knowing how to fix things or not knowing what to do and feeling like I couldn't do it, mm. Being feeling like I was a really bad mother mm. because they cried a lot. So much. They crushed the babies cry. No, no one tells you that. No one explains how much babies <laughs> <Yeah>. cry. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think just not I, – I couldn't go with the flow. I was – you know, I'd try and do things really structured because we're Routine. really st- structured yep. people. But babies don't really like that, are they? Mm-mm. I would do things so differently mm. if I redid it. I'd be a lot more relaxed, I think. I think I'd um, give Alex a bottle a lot earlier. Um, didn't really enjoy breastfeeding. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Were, were you kind of shocked at how hard you found it? Yeah, I was shocked. Yeah, I was. Actually, it was a real surprise. I mean, when you finish sport and you start doing pretty much anything else, you feel like a failure at everything. 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 <laughs> like everything. Everything. Like even <laughs> just what? grocery shopping. I was going to say filling your car up with petrol <laughs> yeah. or, you know, just weird things. Um <laughs> So you can't funny. do anything. You feel like it. shit. You're a shit kicker, no matter what you're doing after Everything sport. You do. Oh god. And then mothering. Yeah. I mean, especially because you just have no idea. Mm. Really. So that was sort of 2004 to 2004, 2005. Mm. Such a blur, isn't it? Was Cliff aware that you were kind of going through postnatal depression? Um, I'm sure he was. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, it's really it's just a, honestly it is just a real blur for me that time that period. Mm. I'm sure he did. He was really busy as well. I mean, it always everything's a busy. It's a busy time, isn't it? When you first have kids, everyone your partner or your it's such a blur. Is, um, busy. He was really busy starting his own practice, and he probably didn't know how bad I was struggling because I didn't. I probably didn't tell him. Mm. To be honest, I never communicated it. I'm a ter- I'm, even now I find it very difficult to communicate my feelings. I say more probably on the radio than I do in real life to people. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a really bad flaw. I don't know. We were never – never. Oh, I think I was taught to never complain or you'll be right. But also we're not given the language around articulating what we're feeling at that mm. time and especially I know going through my own postnatal depression um, experience – you feel like you're the only one mm. who must be so shit at this. You feel yeah. like you're the only one who must be failing at parenthood. Yeah. And, you know, I was an Olympic champion, so why can't I just get this baby to sleep or why can't I get this baby to be happy and not cry at me yeah. <laughs> constantly? And also I thought, and how selfish am I that I am i can't look after another baby? Did you get that? Like mm. I, I must have been so – I'm such a narcissist. Yeah. I'm such a narcissist. Well, I – because – what we were doing, right, swimming was so, such a selfish pursuit. Like it was just all about us yeah. and what we wanted to achieve. And, you know, everyone kind of came along for the ride and then all of a sudden you have this little sack of <laughs> bones who's like screaming at you and like making you the priority, yeah. like making them the priority. And you're like, but I just want to go and sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really. Up. Yeah, it was a weird time. And then you know, people would say, oh, I love being a mother. Mm. And I'm like, oh. What's wrong with me? You just yeah. you feel really flawed, don't you? Yeah. It's more yeah. that you don't feel – you just don't feel normal. Yeah. Mm. So how did you – how do you feel like you came out of that? Like what was the – was there a process like when the GP told you that you had post down depression and then you yeah. quit that one and went to another one and said the same thing? <laughs> Maybe they were right. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, what, did, what did you do? What was that process of kind of coming out of that for you? Oh, jeez. I'm trying to think back. Well, I started taking antidepressants. Mm. I remember the doctor saying that's like the life jacket, you know, to keep yeah. you afloat while we're, you know, working on whatever. Um, and just chatting to him regularly. He was really good to talk to. Mm. 
and just made me feel normal, yeah. that sort of thing. Exercising. Yes. I remember I'd have panic attacks. I actually rang. I looked up his number in the yellow pa- in the white pages to find out where he lived and I rang him at home. Whose number? My, my GP. Oh, wow, okay. My GP. And I remember I was I, – I couldn't breathe and I was – and I remember his wife answered the phone and I was like, I really need to speak to such and such. Mm. And he hopped on the phone. I'm like, I, I just can't breathe. And I remember he told me to get a, a paper bag. Yes. <laughs> to put it a paper a bag trick. I love it. But I must have been desperate to um, mm. – to call him. I would never do that. That is so rude. I feel like that would – but I must have been desperate. Yeah. But um, what did I do? Oh, God. Yeah, just spoke to him heaps. I don't think I saw a psychologist at that stage. For me, it was more just about seeing him. Yeah. And then exercising and then he would have little tips of what to do, you know, mm-hmm. go to shopping centres and be around people. Yeah. And then carving out a bit of time for myself, which you feel so guilty for doing as well. Oh, exactly. I which, remember yeah. when my daughter Poppy was nine months – my GP suggested that I put her in daycare one day a week. And at that stage, I was kind of a stay-at-home mom. Like, that's what mm. I was doing. And I'm like, I can't put her in daycare yeah. one day a week. I'm I'm supposed to be her primary caregiver. Like, this yeah. is what I'm doing now. Like, how could I possibly take a day for myself to do whatever? And it was honestly one of the best things that I did because I had just that little bit of extra space mm. to either process, to sleep, to exercise or go get my nails done or do something for me that felt nourishing because you tend to forget that you were a person before your babies come along. Yeah, and you do feel guilty. Same Mm. sort of thing. I was virtually a stay-at-home mum too, doing little bits and bobs but not not much, no regular work. Mm. And, yeah, same sort of thing. You feel so guilty. But, yeah, if you do it – Why do we feel so guilty? Why as women do we do that to ourselves? I don't know. For me, I reckon it was because my mum always looked after us and Mm. I felt like if – I felt – I think I felt bad that if she could do it, I, why couldn't I do it? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Gosh, yeah. we have terrible, like, mindsets. Mm. Like, I mean, great for being an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> you pretty much got to untrain yourself after you're Not ideal in the real world, mm. but that's okay. We do. We do have to untrain ourselves, hey? Yeah. Um, so that kind of brings me to how did – Someone who is, by her own admission, incredibly shy, get into radio, <laughs> morning radio. How did you yeah, really? kind of fall into, not fall into it because yeah. obviously. No, I fell it. into it. <laughs> kind of by accident. So to start with, I'm try- I was trying to think of my first media stuff I did. I've been um, thinking about it recently. So I went to the Commonwealth Games in 2002 to do some corporate work around the corporate area for the the teams called the Blue Roo Bar, like hang out in this corporate area. And when I was there, I remember I didn't have tickets to go to the Commonwealth Games swimming. You you would have been swimming there? No, I made 2006. Yeah. So the the following (laughs) year was my first Australian team. Okay. Jodie was there though. Jodie and Alice. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I couldn't get to the swimming, but Jerry Collins from the ABC radio oh, Jerry, was yep. there. So nice. And he said, well, I've got a spare ticket, um, but you just it's a media pass type thing. You've just got to sit next to me and maybe say something, you know, if you've got anything to say. So I remember um, sitting next to him watching the swimming and doing a little bit of commentary. And I remember I loved it. I know I was hopeless, but I remember I loved the feeling yeah. of doing it. And I remember walking to the finals and just feeling, oh, wow, I really, Being really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Sort of that for a bit. Did a bit of stuff with Foxtel commentating, so I commentated London Amazing. and Delhi for Foxtel, which How I good. yeah, which I loved as well, which I'm sure I was shit too. <laughs> um, but I remember I really enjoyed the feeling. I liked the the feeling around it. Mm. Peter Dick from 4BC, do you mm. remember him? Yeah, uh, he got me somehow to come on to 4BC one day a week. Oh, awesome! Doing um, 
He said to do like a sport report, but really I just went in and chatted to him and that sort of thing. Amazing. And that sort of ended. And then I ran into Lutzi, who was one of the people on our show now, at the Noosa Triathlon. Did you used to go to that? Yes, absolutely. Must have been 2010 or 2011 or 2012, I can't remember. And we had a massive night at the end of the um, The triathlon. The triathlon. And I was chatting to him, blah, blah, blah. Then I, um, there's a long story, I'm just trying to work out in my mind how it happened. You know, you don't really know. Yeah, you're like, it's, it's you connecting the dots. Yeah, as we're talking. It, yeah, yeah. Maybe just edit all this. But um, <laughs> then I went to the 2012 Olympics commentating for Foxtel and they interviewed me. And then 2013, um, Mitch Lewis, who's our sports reader. Yes. On the show, um, he went on his honeymoon for three weeks. Oh, wow. And so the boys got um, three different female athletes to come in and fill in for a week to do the sport report. How good. Um, so they got me for one week, they got Laura Geitz for one week and they got Sally Pearson for one week. Amazing. Yeah, and just after that, and they'd say, I could do the sport, but they'd say just come and sit in the, the studio. And I knew Ash and Lutzi from when I used to swim. Oh, so wow. Ash used to work for 4BC Sport and he used to interview me a bit. It's amazing. And Lutzi I used to see around. Lutzi's kind of just always been around. He's just always been around forever. He's just kind of always been around. Yeah. And so after I'd done that week, they said um, – can you come in for one – it was one session a week. I think it was 7.30 to 8 on a Wednesday. Amazing. Yeah, but I just came in for the whole day Yeah, on that Wednesday. And then it just gradually – sort of one day, you know, two days, three days. It was kind of a slow, mm. slow sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel so grateful. I was thinking about that when I was driving here. I mean, how many people get to virtually start their career on a number one rating breakfast show? Yeah, it's They're amazing. They're already rating number one. Mm. It was. I mean, I can't say it's easy. Uh, it was easy to start with. I Radio mean, is not easy. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, God, I have so many tears. I'm so crying so much at the beginning. Um, Why were you crying? Because of the feed. You get a lot of feedback from the public through social media or mm. anything really, or even I'd read about it in the paper. Or well, people ter- just saying that you're shit. <laughs> You're like, cool, thanks. Yeah, it's hurtful. Thank you. <laughs> My ego Appreciate is very that. fragile. Yeah. And just <laughs> don't worry, I already think that I'm shit. Yeah, so. I already know that. Uh, you don't have to tell me. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be – and I remember be, it was difficult because um, I felt like, okay, at that point I'm like, okay, I should just really stop this now because I was a good swimmer. Let's just everyone remember me as a good swimmer. Mm. Let's not everyone remember me as a really shit radio lady. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I was like, I should just st- stop this now. There's so many times I'd ring up Ash. I'd be crying, honestly crying, going, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And he'd be like, just, no, just just keep coming in, you know. Y- you're fine. Just mm. And i go, what should I do? And he go, go, no, just be yourself. So we never did air checks. I've never done an air check. So an air check oh, is so good. So I hated air checks. I know. They're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible, aren't they? So air checks are when they um, play back what you've done. That day. That day. And you go through what you could have done better. Like that, you know, transition was bad, you know, that Ah. wasn't funny. Too much there. Yeah, it's awful. So Ash and Lutzi were really good. They they don't do air checks themselves, but they're very experienced. But Mm. they're like, don't, don't, do not do an air check Mm. because you will completely lose your confidence. I mean, you've barely got any confidence at all when you start. Yes. And I think they felt rightly so that if you did, if I did an air check, I would literally stop speaking. Yes, you know. You're like, I'd just be sitting there at the microphone, not Should saying. I say this? Oh, I better not say that. Because, you know, on radio, you kind of can't um, think too much. No, you before can't. Before you um, talk. Yeah. It's kind of really fast. Yeah. So, thank God I've never done any air checks. But I got my own air checks off the public. Thank you very much for telling me exactly where I screwed up. Appreciate that. 
<laughs> so how did you keep coming? Like obviously Ash um, and Lutzia are incredibly supportive of you and mm. have helped mm. kind of build that confidence. But how do you keep showing up when you're already feeling so kind of fragile in yourself in doing something new but also carrying the baggage of being this amazing world number one, world record holder, mm. world beater? Like how do you uh, – First of all, I didn't have – Many other options, to yeah. be honest. But did you want to go back to work? Like, did you want to yeah, find yeah, yeah. something that kind of definitely fired you up? Yeah, yeah. I was still quite busy. I was um, doing, uh, and I still do Cliff's books and oh, invoice and stuff. Yeah, That's so amazing. I kind of, um, um, yeah, kind of behind the scenes do all this stuff with his practice. Mm. Um, so I was kind of doing that all the time, and I knew that that was not fulfilling me. I mean, between that and being what? a mother, doing books, it's not fulfilling. <laughs> I don't know if I've got a really big ego, but I find it really hard to be not the main person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, I've got a big ego. But <laughs> hey, that's why we do what we did, right? Um, yeah, so I knew that I didn't want to do that. Wasn't, mothering was kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, not floating my boat a lot. It was, I knew it was good, but I knew I wasn't going to, you know, mothering. Okay. Um I think what you're trying to say is mothering is amazing yeah. but also terrible. It's really difficult. It's mothering. really hard and it's boring. A lot yeah. of the time it's really boring. And it's just really hard. It's so hard. It's really hard. It's so hard. It's really hard to be strict and do yeah. everything that you feel like you should do as And mother. you kind of feel like you're failing all the time yeah. as well. Yeah. It's not good for my self-esteem. No. So, yeah, no, they kept going. And then um, recently I've come across, to be honest, in the last probably five or six years – have you seen that poem that Wayne Bennett talks about in his book? It's no. actually a, I've got a, uh, an Albert Einstein. Well, you know, not Albert Einstein. I always get the wrong name. Hold on. We'll Google it. Daring Greatly. Daring oh, Greatly. Yes. Um, Thomas. Uh, Teddy, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Okay, get the right um, name. Brene Brown talks oh, about it. She does it. it as well. Yes. Okay. The so Man in the Arena? No. Yeah. Yeah. Daring Greatly. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Dear, is it it's, the man? It's, the man in, it's called The Man in the Arena. Okay. The Man in the Arena by... Teddy Roosevelt, I'm pretty sure. Is that right? Teddy Roosevelt. Jace. I first saw it when it was in the back of Wayne Bennett's book or the front of Wayne Bennett's book. Uh, and basically it says, "Wouldn't isn't it better to be the person in the arena, even if they're succeeding or failing, mm. at least they're feeling something, yes. rather than those poor um, soulless people in the grandstands feeling nothing. Yes, it's my favourite poem. How, I heard about it through Brene Brown, but yeah. yes. It's How good is that? So, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, it is. Very great relief. <laughs> I'll read yeah, it. yeah, read it. Um, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong the man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Mm. So good, isn't it? So good. So I use that a lot now. Yeah. And I just know that I've just got to do my best each day. Mm. And if I make a mistake, which I do, I've made a lot of mistakes, things I would wish I never said. But what's the worst thing that happened? You know, no one died. Mm. No one went blind. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very risky in, in your husband's field, my like, dad's field. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if doctor, I kind of always try and take the pressure off myself. 
Do you ever worry that someone's going to come up to you and go, oh, Cliff did my eyes and now I'm blind? Because <laughs> I've had so many people come up to me and go, your dad did my eyes. And I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm, he's very good, I think. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. I know, it's funny. Yeah, a lot of – yeah. Not so much with Cliff, um, more with my dad. With your dad? Yeah, people used to come up and say that. I was like, how was he? I'm thinking more his personality. How how was he? Was he nice to you? (laughs) I think he can feel a little bit scary. That's one. But, um, yeah, funny. So I suppose just um, just keep going. Yeah, Mm. and and do you still – do you think the person who is successful is the person who gives up last Mm. sometimes? I like to think that as well. Yeah. But I don't know. And I I tried it. I mean, we have we have fun on our show, so kind of, I mean, it's a lot more fun than it used to be. Uh, meaning, I don't get as well, I don't. Like, you know what? I'm not even on social media anymore. I never look at the comments. Um, I think that's such an important yeah. thing to not do. Oh my god! Because it, they're, so, they're sometimes awful. you come across some accidentally on like weird places about yourself, and you're like, what? It's like you're in. Uh, I always say it's like um, we all bitch about people, right? Mm. But it's like you're in their lounge room listening to them bitch about you. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? But yeah. um, so I stay off that sort of stuff. Just try and enjoy each morning. Try and stay um, present in the show, mm. and then when it's finished, kind of not think about it too much. Yeah, it's it's interesting with radio because uh, I um I feel like I kind of followed you into radio as well because I I did a little bit with B one hundred and five. I did a little bit with Triple M. But it's it's really interesting. You have to be very thick-skinned. Yeah. But I kind of felt like it kind of permeates a lot into your broader life because you're kind of always looking for content and you're always going, oh, is that a story? Yeah. Is that something I can share on radio? Is that something that's funny? Do you find yeah. that at all? Or are you kind of able to just come in, have an idea and just go for it? Yeah, I'm always, I'm always, I suppose, looking for stories and different things. Mm. I don't Do you find that hard? I don't, sometimes, but yeah. I don't never feel that stressed because I've always been in a big, big team. Mm. I've always felt like if I haven't got anything, someone else, someone has. else will. That's and they're good. really, and we have, we definitely have off weeks when you have nothing, but someone else might have a bit. And and we, you know, there's quite often stuff going on in your life, isn't mm. there? And then you just, it's really difficult um, to be uh, kind of up on the radio. Yeah. Um. But I find someone else usually takes the the slack, and I have so much trust in the people I work with. At That's the moment. so important, yeah. And they, um, which is a testament to the success that you guys have had over the last what six or seven years. It's yeah, quite I think remarkable. If you, um, I feel like even if you had to push through that really uncomfortable stage, mm. it would have been really good. Yeah, uh, um, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's one of those things, right? Uh, you got to. I really thought you were really good. Through. Yeah, yeah, thank but you. Anyway, you're, but, ve- you're very kind, but you know it's brutal. <laughs> it is. It's a brutal. It's a brutal industry. I f- I found it really difficult. I was really lucky starting off so slow, to be honest. Yeah, that was really good. I only went full time. I think two or three years ago. Yeah, but that's. But I I think that's great. Mm. Like, because then it t- gives the audience the time to kind of get to know you. You kind of get to know. Yeah, people hate change. I've noticed. They do. <laughs> they really – well, that's why you see so many, like, um, anchors just still floating around because people like yeah. to have that familiarity. It's kind of hard industry to crack yeah. for the first time. <laughs> um, so what advice would you give to somebody who is going through that retirement phase, who's thinking about retirement or is there – From sport yeah. specifically? Yeah. <sighs> Expect the worst, hope for the best. Yep. Um, it's difficult. I mean, I spoke to my dad about this because he's um, 
he went through retirement as well from his job and he was like, mm. I don't know what the athletes are all complaining about. You know, it's hard when you quit a job as well. Yeah. And I get that as well. I think the difference – Well, with, it's the same thing. Yeah. I think the difference with an athlete though is you're so young mm. and you're kind of comparing yourself to your peers that are kind of all moving ahead. But uh, be kind to yourself. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. Don't expect perfection but don't be worried about – you know, try a lot of different things. Don't be too proud to do things that you feel like are below you. Below you, yeah. It's a process. I mean, for me, I remember I was in a. I don't. I never thought I would struggle with retirement from swimming because I was over it. I ticked all my girls' goals. I know it's weird, and I was struggling. And um, I remember Duncan Armstrong because no one really really talking about it back then. I don't Mm -hmm. reckon when I retired, and Duncan Armstrong, who won the gold medal in '88, Mm. I remember he wrote me a really nice card. And just said, you know, it's all normal and, you know, when he normalised it. And, amazing. And, you, you know, you'll get through this type of thing. And that was really nice. I'm like, oh, okay. So he – I never knew that he went through that type of thing as well. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, that's nice. It's like it's normal. Yeah. I, I'm normal. Okay, that's all right then. Yeah. Well, it's that big identity shift, right? Like it's something that you've been known mm. for for so long and then you're wanting to disconnect from that because that's not who you are anymore but you don't yet have something to – that you can define yourself as. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? I wonder if does every single person go through it? I'm trying to think. Well, uh, my theory, this is my running theory at the moment, is that (laughs) if you're able to find something that you're passionate about while you are an athlete, then that makes the transition easier, Mm. not necessarily fine (laughs) and easy. But like, for example, my husband Luke, when he retired, he never quite made the level um, of an Olympics or anything like that, but he had something that he was working on anyway and that he kind of hit the ground running Mm. and other people like Mel Schlanger, Melanie right I should um, say now, uh, she's like a doctor now Mm. uh, and I feel like she started that process while she was an athlete and Mm. so it feels like they kind of hit the ground running and are able to just move on into life after sport but It's hard to do that. It's hard to – like I've heard people say you should start something while you're – It's almost impossible. Um, competing. <laughs> I, I would have found that impossible because mm. I was so focused on – But this is the thing as well. Like being I, a swimmer. I wonder if you're at the very, very top of yeah. uh, like an Australian team, you know, the one winning the individual medals or breaking world records, whether you are actually able to take that time – to study. I know that the Campbell sisters, I, they are definitely studying. Yeah. So, you know, I kind mm-hmm. of felt a bit shit about that. <laughs> like they're just over, overachievers in yeah. every sense of the word. But, it me- but mentally to be really engaged in something else. I understand being busy doing other things like maybe mm. going to uni or having a job and stuff. Mm. But, um, yeah. but then everything that you're working towards, you know, whether it's the actual training or the rest, like that's all such important stuff and it's like how much time do you take away from that Yeah, to then go and pursue other stuff. It's really, it's a really hard balance. Um, I think when I finally found radio, I'd give, I'd gone, okay, well I'm never going to find anything that compares to my sporting career again. Mm. I'd re- kind of reach that stage. Maybe that's a good place to start, mm. lower, lowering your expectations. But I think that's why a lot of people yeah. have – addiction after oh, yeah. sport. I can totally understand that. Yeah, because it, it's like you said, like it was a drug addicted feeling to yeah. break a world record or win a gold medal. Like that, there was nothing going to be that high yeah. in our lives again. First five seconds after you touch the wall, <gasps> that feeling. Just, it's magic. Yeah. And it's a natural high. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird high. Yeah. But it is. It's, a, it's something that you've worked towards for so long. Yeah. It's weird. 
So my final question that I like to ask everybody is, and maybe you've already answered it, but what what is the moment in your swimming career that you are most proud of? And it could be, you know, your your world record um, in the 200 butterfly or a gold medal, but, you know, are there moments throughout your career that maybe were a little bit more quiet that nobody else might know about? Mm. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. I can't even think of my bad things. Like I remember, um, I still feel sorry for the um, team I was with um, in the 4x50 freestyle relay at regionals or zones at the Old Valley Pool. Yes. And I think I was the second swimmer and um, I stopped. So the, the first swimmer swam the lap and I was the second swimmer. I dived in and no one else got to swim. I, I still think of those girls. <laughs> I feel sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Usually the last two girls never swam <laughs> because I didn't finish my 50. Um, but I think the things that we remember. Yeah. But I had such good times when I was younger, making my first team to Cairns mm. when I was 10 and swimming the 50 backstroke up there. Oh, gosh. Um, well, the friends I made, I mean, it's so cliched, isn't it? Mm. But um, it's so true. Yeah. The, like, are you still close with a lot of a the A few swimmers? of them, yeah. yeah. So I had lunch with Daniel Kowalski last oh, week. amazing. Yeah, I still He's see great. him a bit. Um, Andrew Balden. Yes. Um, see him a bit. Um, I've started catching up again with, Angie Greenwoodle, you might oh, know her wow. as Angie Simpson, Cody yep. Simpson's mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Cody's Amazing. back swimming because I swam a bit with his parents, um, Ellie Overton a bit. I mean, not a lot of swimmers, but – and one of the, one of my closest friends is a girl I swam with when I was – we joined Mr. Wayfoot Squad. I was nine and she was ten. Wow. Uh, Narelle. So Amazing. we're still really good friends. So cool. Yes, yeah, so I suppose that – because swimmers get sw- swimmers as well type mm. thing. But um, yeah, obviously the world record I loved the um, winning my first gold medal in Atlanta mm. um, was special. Yeah, yeah, very lucky that everything turned out. Yes, <laughs> it's amazing, Susie. Thank you so much for your time. It's just no been problem. absolute magic. It's yeah, it's such a privilege to be able to talk to someone who I idolize. Even though I sound like I was being <laughs> a dick to you when I was fifteen, it sounds like I have absolutely idolized your career during. Your swimming and, you know, the way that you've been able to articulate stuff that I've been through after swimming oh, and then going on to be so <laughs> successful in your in your radio career is just, yeah, I, I, I truly admire you as a swimmer and as a person. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Libby. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Sorry it's been a bit of a wait. Uh, life has been busy. But I know it was worth the wait. Susie, for me, has been just an absolute icon of swimming, um, you know, as a golden girl in the golden era of swimming in Australia. She is, you know, etched in the hearts and minds of, of so many Australians um, and people around the world. So it was such a pleasure and such a privilege to sit down with her and, and talk to her about her transition and understanding that... <laughs> She feels like shit too, (laughs) some of the time, a lot of the time, and how we have to untrain our minds to get out of that perfectionistic mindset and to go and try things and to ask for the help that she needed, you know, to to recognise that she needed to get help during that stage after her children were born. Uh, just resonated so much with me. So as always, uh, if you like it, share it, subscribe it. I don't know. I'm, I'm just so out of practice. Do all those things, please. Subscribe, like, rate, review is the other thing. <laughs> but again, yeah, if you ever have any ideas about people that you'd like me to interview, we have some really exciting guests coming up 
in the next few weeks. So um, I can't wait to, to share those episodes with you. But DM All That Glitters Pod if you have any ideas. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.